What's up, guys? It's David Hess from the Rising Above podcast. Have you ever thought or dreamed about starting a podcast? Well, look no further. Anchor has all the tools necessary to record a podcast from your computer or phone. You heard that right. They make it so simple. When you host your podcast on Anchor, they will distribute your podcast on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Honestly, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, which is why I host on Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Welcome to the Rising Above podcast. My name is David Hess, and today I have Richard Prangley with me. Um, Richard had lived a crazy life. He grew up in the um, cold water uh it was a uh cold water stayed home at training school okay and essentially it was a, a prison um he lived there till he was 22 he wrote a book oh called... i i went in there age six and got out age 21 oh 21 may okay. 17 1971 okay he wrote a book about his life it's called waiting for Our home uh it was written by john snyder I recommend uh, ordering it. You can find it on Amazon. Um, or if you wanted a signed copy, uh, get a hold of me, and I will uh, have Richard autograph it and, and send it out. Um, without further ado, I would love Richard to introduce himself. Hey. R- how are you doing today, Richard? I'm doing very good. I'm Richard Prangley. I live in Lansing, Michigan. Been in Lansing over about close to 40 years and then it came a, a homeowner and a retired from the state of Michigan year 2009 and uh, then I had 30 got my 30 years and I think from the help of Governor Milliken to give me a job working for the state to seek my fortune how to be able to live a good quality life, becoming a homeowner, and then this is the miracle how I overcome, endured the institutionalization for 15 years. Um, what did you do for the state of Michigan? I worked in office services in the mailroom, and I was a special worker. That classification was created by Governor Milliken. Okay. And he had uh, called director of management and budget and the director of mental health that came. All three of us got together, this Governor American seat to Richard to get the job lined up into classification job, you know, working and end up being working in the mail room and and I mean that, that that job for 30 years. That's amazing. And then the year 2010, that's when I officially retired. Okay. And I'd have been 30 years, I've been an advocate for mental health, going to group home, doing speak engagement, going around the country, telling my story. And, and it's a phenomenal how much people can understand what it's like growing up in these institutions with the puppet never ever got to, to see, you know. It is something, you know, there's something 
unbelievable they had to live in those horrid condition. Um, I was reading your book and I was almost crying because when you had, you had talked about how, um, you were dropped off at the age of six and when you were dropped off, you, or on your way, rather, you were kind of excited at first because you were in a, in the vehicle, you love going on car rides and, uh, something about it kind of soothed, soothed you. Yeah. And I remember going down that curb road at cottage, entering the cottage 41. And then I asked my dad when I'm going to go home. He said some days. And that some date that came May 17th, 1971. Wow. And when, when did you go into the home? What year? Uh, 19, Ju- Ju- June 1956. Wow. Wow. Um, so <laughs> you're, you're going down this windy road and your parents drop you off. And I also remember you were talking about in the book that you, you just remember um, being so scared and frightened of, about yeah. having to be there. And you were standing in, in the doorway of the cottage and you could see your parents driving off into the distance. What was that like? It was a scary moment when I was going into a a different world from the institutionalization, from the home setting. Yeah, I never got to be just like being sentenced, incarcerated for fifteen years, like it, what I went through. And you're a kid, so you don't know how to how to handle that. Didn't know how. Oh, that was scary. Right and got home sickening and it was unpleasant to say the least. Have surrounding other residents, it, it can't take care of yourself. Someone like to do bad things, bite you, all kinds of beaten by other residents. Not only the residents, you got to look out for the staff too, the ones that take care of us. Some of the staff wasn't very nice. <laughs> I know. I, I, I read some of the things that they had done to you. Yeah, that and... was the most bitter part about all this whole thing. And then what makes my stories amazing, I'm not bitter because I got a reason not to be. That this is, That's what's helping me to... Uh, to get the message out there not to be bitter. I find a lot of these other people that have been through the same circumstances as I was, and a lot of them are very bitter. And you know, I try to help get some of those people I grew up with in cold water. They don't want to talk about it, and I can understand that. There are things I didn't want to go back down there with Sunday morning news. CBS that took me down there, interviewed me, and then we have to go through. I have to live, endure it, all that, live, relive all that, and that was hard for me to do. I'm sure. Is it difficult well, talking? I'm going to sneeze. Oh, you're okay. <laughs> and I have to endure all that to go down there. We live the only way I can get the story told and have to go through it. The hardest part when I had to go down there when Governor Milley can testify in front of all those staff, the, how that institution, the way they treated us residents, 
you know, and then, and then there's and always getting beaten by the staff all the time. And boy, Governor Milliken had launched a major investigation. A lot of changes had to be made. That was hard for me ever had to take to take on this the system big time. You took yeah. on the system big time. Yeah, and then I was scared of my shoes. I didn't want to go down there, but Governor Milliken said I I had to go along with him. He was I was on his right side. He made sure I was well protected to tell and I made some changes to yeah, I changed the whole mental health system. So going kind of back to your time in the in the home, um, you were there from the age of six and you were put into one specific cottage, right? Yeah, Cottage 41, what, Ward 2. What Can you explain to me, or explain to the audience, rather, what that cottage, because I read your book, I, I know what it is. Yeah. Uh, could you explain well, what that... Well, going in there, you smell this order bad, and it stinks, and it's like being in it, like an animal smell. You mm. know, people don't take care of themselves, and people go potty on the floor and all that. You know, they just... Um, unpleasant to see witness all that and I tried it nor and I always hit off over the side and not to look at a lot of the stuff I adored made it easier to get sick I would get sick a lot wow. yeah, I always end up getting in the, going to their hospital because then I have hip I caught hepatitis down there because it's unsanitary. I told Governor Millick and all that, everything. Yeah, that this, this, yeah, just amazing not being bitter from it and, and what good came out of it, you know. A lot, a lot of good came out of it. Um, so, and dirt- what my goal is trying to, to get this from ever happening again around the country what I'm trying to accomplish that so when need for any people there's no more DD facility in Michigan they help because mm-hmm. they got help got those places closed only got the field in my facility left but no more DD I won the battle on that one really that's awesome you're, pre- you're pretty persistent when it comes to things um, <laughs> so uh Going back, um, you your parents dropped you off, and you reading through your book, it seemed like you kind of wanted your parents to come back for you and take oh, you yeah. home. I always um, ask, I either have staff, nicer staff, nicer staffs too. They have nicer lady staff. They help me write letters to my parents. Okay. I want to go home for good. Did, always want. What, what was their response? Well, I never heard any back. See, a lot of time, when you sent letters out to your parent, the institution, the cottage supervisor reads all the letter that they don't like what's in the letter. They, a lot of letters don't always get out. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that's why my parents, I never had much contact with my parents. They send me birthday cards every year for my birthday, December 1st, take me out to pleasure, take me down to Max restaurant. I always beg my dad, I'd like to go home. I tried to tell him this place is not treating me very well. What was his response to that? He didn't, he didn't want to hear it. He, he tried to, trying to, sh- cover 
sweep it under the rug. Was was he? Maybe that, did that, he think you were like exaggerating? Yeah, and that was the most bitter part about it of all. Was the response? My dad just don't want to hear me out. Don't want to to see hear the truth. What really going on in there? Sexual abuse, getting beaten by the staff all the time. What was what was their reasoning for putting you in this home? Or in this in this Cause facility. Because with the slow learning disorderly, I couldn't be handled at home. And it was a bite of two doctors. And one of the priests said, I cannot learn unaidable, ever learning that. But when you're different, that's the place you end up at back then. They didn't have community placement special mm-hmm. Schooling for people with disabilities right. back then. That's the place where parents send their disability child, you know, daughter and son there. It was a lot of people was there, should never been there. You're one of them. Yeah, I'm one of them. They did high Q tests on me when I got older, got in 16 or 17 years old, they started testing my, testing my, my Q, IQ, how mm-hmm. do you, if you're capable to learning. And I think at first, reading through the book, that they they kind of underestimated your knowledge and your abilities to they sure did. to learn and to I, take on daily tasks. And yeah, uh, I you, had to learn to work my way up and got working on recreation staff. They have nice staff like. Yeah, and the recreation and then giving me jobs. I either worked off ground, got transferred up on the line cottage and what I can start improving. Oh yeah, and things have gotten better after the late year in the late in sixty nine and early seventies, nineteen seventies. Okay. That's when I got put in the Etset Pro Cottage called okay. Cottage 21 with people already capable going on convalescent status, they call it. Okay. And I was sent to Grand Rapids, put into a group home, what they would call it, a halfway house. That that part of your life, I, I was extremely excited reading through that, that part of your book. Yeah. Um, because you were just, at that point, you were so fed up with being in the facility and you started proving to them that you're you're worth more. You can do so much more with your life. What they think. What they thought you could do. See, what and, they use us as a working boy, they, it's a benefit to them. They're getting the paycheck. A mm-hmm. resident never get a, see a paycheck. It's free labor. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And that's what it was like. You do the work the staff tells you to do. You don't. They can do really harm to you. Um, so during that time, you end up getting out of that facility and you go to a group home in Grand Rapids. Right. And uh, that's when that day, that's when a miracle began, start turning my life around to come be, come be a free man, gain my freedom, independence. <laughs> that was the day of my independence day. How did you feel? Oh, I feel like a million dollars, man. <laughs> that able to be away from incarceration I grew up with for 15 years at age 6 to age 21. I was 21 years old when I got out. Boy, 
That's crazy. And, and, and but the scary part about it, I had it going, went to a bigger city and never seen it. And I got help. I was put, had social worker over looking over me, make sure I'm going to make it. Right. I had some disagreements with some of the probation rules. I had to see a probation office every month. With this that. is this is madness. Hearing this, you talking about, uh, I got out of being incarcerated. I got out of essentially prison and I had a probation officer to, to help you. Yeah. Like, like, like you're some criminal, like you did something. I know. See, that's what, what it was like. And then, and then I learned the other the challenge that I had into the society, look down on people that come out of places like that. They're not people like my family member with the scare of me at that time. My dad didn't want me. I know I gotta be careful what I say. Well, my parents not around, but I have a relationship with my siblings today. Okay. I made I made some improvement, and you know, there I got brother and sister that care under start uh, understanding me better now that that took a little time. Well, the way that people looked on mental health back in <laughs> back specifically in the fifties and sixties. Oh, it was horrible. It that uh, and the pub, the general public don't have no clue. Places like this where they're incarcerating people because of their different, their their disability. Right. They would call warehouse and discard it out of mind, out of sight. And, it, and yes. that was the attitude of the public, the way to put these people away. And human warehousing. Yeah, boy. People didn't look at uh, people with mental health health issues as as people, right? No, they didn't. They just look at us just like animals. People, yeah. And when you see that see that DVD, you're gonna see the reality of what it's like growing up in the big, the large sterile day room. That one. That one, one of those DVDs we call "Waiting for Home." For um, <clears throat> people who are listening or watching, uh, Richard yeah. put together a packet of information um, of his time in the Coldwater home, and it, in this packet, I actually have yet to look inside of it. He put together a couple DVDs. Uh, were they actually? Um, You're actually. We went down there. I had to. Had to go where well, I had that was the hard part when I had to go down there, walk through facility cottage 41, and at that that one there on the mental health educational exhibit that's the latest one, and those two, those two DVDs. That's one to me. This is the one your book is about, the right? One in, in Coal what the the state. What those back wards looked like was my parents never got the scene. And that one there at the Light of World story tells about when John Snyder wrote the book. We went down there to Coldwater. And, and I'm excited amazing, to watch those. Amazing story. And I put together the history of mental health booklet. Um, oh, okay, right here. Open, yeah. the, open the door to mental health. Yeah, bring mental health out of the closet. That's what that. And wow. I. Did a lot of work for celebrating Metal Health 125th anniversary. Wow. 
Oh, that's <laughs> truly amazing. You, um, after you got out, you were always kind of determined to prove everybody wrong. Everybody kind of oh, told you you were going str- you're, you're to struggle. You're, you're, mm. You need the assistance of your social worker. Yeah. Um, I, you, need, you need to follow what they tell you. And yeah, you were and just is, bound and determined to kind of create your own path. Right. And it, you I did. did. I did. And uh, I, my social worker ended up getting me a job working at Butterworth Hospital kitchen mopping floor that's how i grew got better mm-hmm. and made new friends there at butterworth hospital and that grew and gotten that story uh in your book you talk about how you you had the job at butterworth and you were doing great you um you i think were living on your own at that point and then you yeah. kind of got a roommate yeah, got a got a my first room independent living at the ymca yeah. in grand rapids that's when i Got my first color TV set, the <laughs> Foss's Joy. Oh, I tell you, I just couldn't wait to spend the money, have all this outside stuff I never had growing up. Look at where I am, boy. I tell you, you just kind of went wild. <laughs> I went, I went very wild. I got so far deep in debt and spend money like to grow on tree because I never, <laughs> never have all this luxury when growing up. Right. Never had nothing given to me, whatever with the state to buy the light around Christmas time, seeing other people get presents from their parents. Mm-hmm. I never got much, only just got a hard Christmas candy roll, rolled up in that toilet wow. paper tube. That's what the state to buy the, for people that don't have nobody. Wow. Yeah, they never, never. The sad, the worst, bitter part about it, when other people got to go home, I never had. The people who were off got to go on vacation, and yeah, yeah that was a. It, it's a bitter way to growing up when I just that the idea I just never had the love. That was the whole idea why I spent so many years there, never got to go home. I know I read in the book also that uh, you had you had I think wrote a letter or you talked to your dad about wanting to come home for Christmas because all the other kids in the in the home got to go home for Christmas and but you weren't able to and, right and you asked Christmas holidays or Easter never anyhow never got to go. Well, my dad. Mom comes up once a year, sometimes not, most of the time not a year, not at all. Wow. They take me out to place or take me down to restaurant, Max restaurant downtown Coldwater, and take me out for picnics downtown, downtown to some part, I remember that. And then they, they take me back. I did the hard part when I had to go back right. to Cottage 41. Yeah, my dad did this one. As far as he was concerned, I was there for the rest of my natural life. They didn't need her help, got me out of there. The social worker of Cottage 21 had written letters to my dad. Trying to get you out. And never never got no response. Wow. They didn't want to be part of it. And my, my dad was so busy being a mayor of Granville at that time, so busy politicking. Mm. And they just want didn't want me in the way. That's, wow. that's, well, that was, I heard, found out a little bit about the truth. I got some of the information out of some of my brother and sister. Many of them didn't want to talk about it when my parents were still alive. Oh. And they, my dad didn't want my brothers and 
my siblings, my brother and sisters, be any contact. Really, with you? Right, talking oh. to me or getting, making any ways to make Dad look bad. Right. And I found out the real truth how I, why I was sent there when I got my institution records. That's how I got more information. And I learned more as I went along what really made me strong. Now, at one point, um, while you were working at Butterworth, I think you kind of got in trouble, right? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I had stuff was given to me over the years, the stuff they was throwing out. And I took it home fixing it up, and and I got moved into this one house, rental house with a the roommate that limp works at Butterworth at the parking ramp attendant, and he was accusing me st- stealing stuff from the hospital. What I well, what what had happened I, from me reading the book is that you were given a bunch of um, like furniture and stuff from yeah. the hospital. And well, mainly uh, cabinets. Right, Wasn't and you would fix really them up. You would fix them up and took them home. I had help taking them home. Right from the staff. And uh, then they would let you borrow some of the tools too. <laughs> yeah, they, and, they do yard work. And I always bring them back. I always. You got a permission. Right. And you would lock them up yeah. uh, at your house, right? So nobody would steal them. Right. And then you came home because you were gone for the weekend. Yeah, and I went down to Coldwater Bissett, and then I okay. found one of my cabinet was broken into. And then I knew who was since I said something about it, and I knew he was responsible for it. Then a few days later, then I had... Uh, a prosecutor came to, to call me in the office. One of the personnel directors said, there's a warrant out for my, you know, being questioned uh, and go through my house. And I made the accuse. And I, then I lost my job. Later, the charges was dropped. I never got arrested or anything. Oh, okay. But the charges was dropped. And this was a bunch of other people that got in trouble, too, for helping me. Oh, wow. Because at that time, I didn't know better, and I thought I was doing the right thing. Right. And, um, so, at that then point... Then I ended up, went to Detroit, and I knew some people there at the Detroit Film Club that took me under their wing. So that was after you had went to your parents. You stayed with your parents for a little while, right? Yeah, a little while. And then at that point, you kind of heard them talking about uh, putting you back into like oh, that's some, when I got some up, sort of home, right? Got up the middle of the night. And, you woke up and, in the middle of the night and you're like, screw I, this. <laughs> I, I was, and I it took the cab, went downtown Grand Rapids to the bus station. They got a bus. I knew I see some light entering the tunnel to get me out underneath this, what Dad was trying to do. So did and, you, at the point when you went and bought a ticket to to uh, Detroit? Yeah, one-way one way ticket to Did you Detroit. have a plan? Did you have a plan when you well, got to Detroit, I, what you are going to do? Or? And, well, I tried to get a job at uh, the Renaissance Center when it was first being built. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I tried to seek life and fortunes, trying to make it in Detroit, but I, it didn't pan out very well when I found out. Well, women with the Detroit Film Collective 
they had their own life to live, and they they didn't. I didn't care about the lifestyle that they lived. It, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know if you heard about marijuana and all that. <laughs> I, I just want, I just want an end to the kind of lifestyle they lived. Because right. that was kind of the setting I was not raised. Right. You know, it's a miracle I had that guardian angel was with me every step of the way. Tell me, to give me the knowledge from the Holy Spirit directed me how to, way to go, what path to live my life, and I follow that path. I have the knowledge, I got a knowledge, it's amazing. And I can see the miracle I gotta get, I can see through people what is is suitable for me and mm-hmm. not suitable for me, that's how I. Well, you kinda, because of living in the cold, I think, in my opinion, you living in a, a, such a terrible situation, you growing up in such a terrible uh, and situation, it teaches it's kind of taught you like who's a genuine person who's not and who's exactly. who's going to help you and who's not exactly and you've <clears throat> kind of learned how to like you said read read people right and right. that's that's how i have a knowledge understand about people thinking and how they react you know i i made a lot of new friends you know they have old friends and pass on and make new friends well, you're a new friend of mine. <laughs> well, I look at you like another brother, and I really think, I think God's got plans for my life, uh, and he's not done with me yet. And I want to, the whole purpose of what I'm trying to do, bring other people out of the closet. Yeah, because we're all human. God created us, all of us in his image. And I respect the person with a disability or not disability. And I just had love in those people. You're looking at a human being. It's just heartbreaking. See, those people don't have a haven't born right, disabled or mm-hmm. brain damaged. You know, that's the way they were born, you know. And, and oh, I know things are going to, God's going to make everything perfect. That one day is coming. There won't be no more disability. There won't be no more sickening. Nah. And if the not able to read or write, it's amazing how I can got the knowledge in the mind. I got a special mind God had placed in me. You know, I thank God every day. You know, I'm trying to be a strong believer and i stand by our creator every day well you are definitely strong and uh you're persistent because reading through your book you talk about how um so after kind of after you've come back from detroit you went to california for a bit you came back well when i left detroit i went to ipsy oh yeah that's right got hooked up with another longtime friend the doherty's and they and and i kind of being taken advantage of by them and that didn't turn out too good. I ended up getting an apartment about two miles from the Ypsilanti State Hospital. He helped me got a job there that was more for his benefit. He would charge me rent, living in the basement, using me for his house 
do all the work around the house which his wife don't want to do. They, <laughs> this, they, this used me, this the way I was being used in cold water. But it was more as a benefit to learn more about the outside world, how it helped me learn how to cook. I he, watched somebody else how to cook. You met him, him at Coldwater, right? Yeah, he you, used to work at Coldwater. He was part of the Cottage 42 principal director in charge of the, the program that, that one that really did help got us out of Cottage 41 into the okay. 42 program, Cottage 42. Okay. And that's when things are start gotten better and, and had more education had edu- you know and so you you work. felt that he was trying to help you at that point right at that time but then and when you went to go live with him it wasn't like that he no, took it, advantage it, and then when i understand he got hooked on this crack marijuana stuff and that that did i did something in my mind i had to vacate from that house, something tell me in my mind, think the Holy Spirit said, this place is not right for me. I see it wasn't right for me. So I got help from somebody at the Ypsilanti State Hospital in the seat kitchen to help me find a, a place nearby and walking distance. So and it was two I, miles away. Yeah. You'd have to it, walk bo- both ways yeah. every single day. Well, a lot of times I get a ride home. Okay. Sometimes I get a we could pick up if I can get the staff cooperate the work help me I made some new friends at Ipsy and it was there I was there for a year okay and then I took off went to Los Angeles for a while trying to seek my fortune there <laughs> boy I experienced trying a, to make it big yeah, and trying, trying to experience, I had some experience, scaring experience about her people don't speak a kind of language. I was gotten to scare my shoe. What kind of world was this? People don't understand English around here. And trying to get a job at the Venture, Venture, Bonaventure Hotel. And then, and, there's a, and I went up to the restaurant and asked for help. What's going on when I need a how I can get a job. And that one guy wouldn't speak the way I speak. I told him, can you speak English? And uh, he got kind of mad. You know, I couldn't understand what he's saying. Uh, and I was assuming most people in Los Angeles are Spanish. And I did it's a learning experience I learned uh-huh. there. And I ran into some people. It, it was hard to... To, to make it there not knowing anybody and then on top of it you you also didn't know how to read and write yeah right so right. like trying to find your way around had to be difficult and right read signs and now then something else tells me went through my mind richard when you got that money that money better get your butt back to michigan <laughs> so something that tells me then for the holy spirit i always had a Oh, you have a guardian angel telling me I I need to get back to Michigan. Los Angeles was a right for me there. So I went back to Michigan and ended up getting a job at Coldwater working. They got to help there. What, I was, what made you want to go back to Coldwater that, out of all uh, places? <laughs> well, it was downtown, but downtown. Okay. 
the city of Coldwater, just because that's the only place I knew I grow up. Okay. I know I could get help. Okay. And I got went to the uh, the church down there called Church of Christ. That's how I got known. Somebody they helped got me a job at the water factory for a while in town, and they helped me got a job working there. That's safe. Okay. Plastic and metal. You will see that in that folder about me working at it oh about my whole story how i grew up down there how i got where i'm at so that, that folder yeah take that folder out and you you will see this oh, one right here yeah that, that the one, this that one right there and look at the part that about my growing up in cold water right i think it's right after the governor Melick and press conference when the book got published yeah right yeah, yeah, right there. Yeah, okay. Oh, right. okay, right there. Beginning of it, and, and I thought that might. This is really an article from the Coldwater Water Daily Reporter. Coldwater Daily Reporter. Wow. <clears throat> thought that might be able to help you out a lot. Yeah. To tell the story, and I'll here's the next page. Richard grows up. There's my job working there when I was working at F State. Look at you. You're a good looking yeah. young dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah I've been busted got and then they laid me off just because I caught in cold water a major big black guy because I gotten a lot of publicity about the institution and I'm established uh, trying to fight to save the old administration building to make it into a Michigan statewide mental health. That's kind of when you became a little famous in Michigan, right? Oh yeah, boy, I got cold water. Everybody in the plant was all shook up, scared. I'm making You're too make many ways and I wanted to stop told me I better shut up, quit making too many ways. Because a lot of people in cold, cold water worked at that facility yeah. or they had family members that were in the facility. Right. And, and uh, they I didn't would, want you kind of making would, waves. Yeah. And they tried to shut me up. I contacted a representative, Nick Smith, in that area, and I sent a letter to Governor Milliken. I think there's a copy of the letter I sent to Milliken that's in there. But anyway, hey boy, it's everything one after another keep going through my head. How to sort everything out. Boy, just a miracle. I had a guardian angel really help me right along. To get through this indoor threat I've been facing and there's a staff chasing me around the fairground. I every year I go to Branch County Fair. Okay. And I was being threatened by one of the staff one uh one that wanna work me over, you know. Wow. He was mad because I cost everybody see was ninety five people were dismissed from that place. Wow. Anybody worked more than 10 years or over, it had to be let go. And that was the hardest part I ever had to take on big time because I had to go down there testify, a witness of all. Boy, boy. Did anybody get into legal trouble on some of the things well, that they, happened? Well, it was under the state of the Department of Mental Health at Milligan had a, a major investigation went on to help right. to change the system, and then they had to hire all new staff. 
Wow. Yeah, well, made a lot of changes down there. Not only that, they helped close down the Plymouth Center. Well, what is the Plymouth Center? About, they have a resident, what they call... Uh, Another institution, several like Coldwater, okay. that was either worse. They have staff wow. being resident with chains. Wow. <laughs> and that was in the, made it in the Detroit Free Press. And I had a big write-up in the Detroit Free Press about what happened to me in Coldwater. So it was a similar situation. But I was having a belt taken to me by one of the staff. Yeah, had yes. a need to need to the stomach or the man. Well, I hope your emotion very strong. <laughs> your emotions have to be but you, extremely you wanna, strong. You you want to know the truth. You got it. Yeah, I have it all right here. Um, again, I'm gonna plug your book again. If you want to know Richard's whole story, like I cry, almost cried reading this book. It's so sad. Um, so at that point, you're in Coldwater. Uh, you start kind of getting some publicity from from the media and from Coldwater Daily Reporter. That's when, it, and then I got a interview with a sixteen TV from Coldwater radio station interview me about the old administration building, saving it from demolition. And can you uh, explain what you wanted to do with the administration building? Turning into Michigan Statewide Mental Health Museum, picking the history of the agency history. I did a lot of research as when it was a state public school for the independent, neglected children, wow. May 18th. 1874, yeah, May wow. 18, 1874, wow. when the school opened up for orphanage children. Yeah, and that's boy, it's amazing how much I learned about that age. I always knew it was an orphanage. They started out with an orphanage. How did you do all this research? Through uh, the, the state archive and the Branch County Library. I did a lot of research. Took two years to research all this. Did you have people read things to you? Yeah, oh yeah, that's how I accomplished it, had people help me read it. I had a minister friend I ran into to help, took me under his wing to read, helped me with the writing all these letters. And oh, wow. It's just a miracle I got connected to the right people want to help me cry out to... Uh, how do I can turn this whole system around to make it more acceptable to help people? To, right. Yeah. So was your goal to kind of have this, uh, the cold water home sh shut down completely? Was that your goal or was your well, goal to no, kind of change the system? Not, well, the more might change the system <clears throat> and get better program is going to help people not warehousing them right and that helped the, there was people up on the line cottages never did belong there the first place it was smarter and smarter and i was real high grade were they like troublemakers like yeah, just troubled kids like smart aleck so like to <laughs> make you know don't like you and you know don't hard some of those residents are hard to get along with you know i make friends with some of them some of them do bad stuff to you might sexual abuse you like have sex with you and all that that's what rape was. you yeah oh yeah i, I told governor Milliken that boy and he, he just don't know how to i can endure all that he just couldn't believe it uh, 
But, you know, it was in God's hand to look at where, how do I come out of it the way I did when it, you know. Right. So you started, um, again, you making waves. You got publicity from the media. You got um, the attention of the of the governor, Governor Milliken, Mulliken. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what led me come to Lansing. Nick Smith said I had to come to Lansing to get to introduce me to the governor. So and, the, you then moved to Lansing. Yeah, and, and got the, the room at the YMCA. Okay. And then... And next day, uh, I have a big stacks of paper from Coldwater, took it over to, Co- over to Lansing State Journal. That's how I got met John Snyder. <laughs> and he's been doing a lot of writing about me ever since then. Well, you're kind of a like a you're kind of like a, a celebrity here in Michigan. At least you were at one oh, point. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and then made it in Detroit Free Press. Paul Magnuson did a big write up on me. Oh, I, oh, I just had the world in my hands, you know. And I think, thank from God, I have I, I led me to the right people. That ain't what you know. It's who do you know? Right. I learned that along the way. How to what helped me got me where I'm at. Know the right people. So when you move to Lansing, they they give you a job. They create a job specifically right. for I you. I started out with the temporary job at the janitor at the okay. Lewis Cash building, and then after six months, Nick Smith called the department community, well, called Michigan Department of Mental Health Director that called me upstairs. The governor needs to talk to you. And I, and I got to say, oh, what I'm, boy, what I'm doing now? <laughs> and uh, I, the director of the Department of Mental Health walked me over to the governor's office and Governor wanted. I was in there over about an hour and a half. And going through all these files, all the records, and tell him everything that happened. Uh, and, you know, I, and that's why when Milliken took me under his wing, want to help me. Because you know? he felt that you were kind of owed something, right? Because yeah. of all the things you had to endure at yeah, Coldwater. Yeah, I, I could sue the state $15 million. Uh-huh. But I didn't think it ain't the money. This mean it ain't the money. It's about seeking change for the better, helping other human life that don't go through what I went through. That's incredible. I got more well, got the third lifetime job out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I got that out of it. You know, that means and, more. And on top of it, you helped so many people. Yeah, that means more than me the money. Money, not everything. Right. But they say money rule all evil. What would that would benefit me? To wouldn't have got me nowhere. Well, you would probably wouldn't have accomplished the things that you wanted to accomplish. Right. So and I had accomplished a lot. Now maybe the money will come later. I'm <laughs> trying to win the puppets in sweet state. I'm sending sweet steaks. I've been trying to win, you know, trying to win money. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, good thing it's going to come my way. I just had to well, I mean, even if it's not money, I mean, you've, <coughs> like I've said, you've helped so many people. I mean, that's that's far greater than anything 
they can well, win. I or, think that's all, probably what you're doing. You're probably waking things up again. I hope me. so. And that's hopefully, that's hopefully I will accomplish. And when all these other people that are coming forward, all the subject, things are people interesting order in my book from Amazon, and I always thought anybody can get my book, they had to get them through me from Ermans, and I don't know how Amazon got a hold of my book, selling my book, they might have, may, maybe might have something to do with John Snyder, possibly, maybe send a message to Ermans, there's a way to get my book, I think. Is Ermin the publication? Ehrman. Yeah, Ehrman's probably selling oh, my yeah, book Ehrman. to Amazon. I just wonder how Amazon got involved. But that's okay. That's I'm one not... of the greatest platforms that we have today is Amazon. So the fact that th you can get this on Amazon is amazing. Yeah. Anybody in the world can order your book. All over the country. All over the country, all over the world. All over the world? Yeah, it's all over the world. Any country. Any country that offers Amazon. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. I thought it was just were, uh, around the country, United yeah. States. No, I'm pretty sure it's all over the world. Amazon's all over the world, right? Yeah, pretty sure. Boy, it's amazing. Well, hey, I welcome Amazon. You know, I would sell them for $20 because I, I need the money. Well, it's $2 more. Two, yeah, Amazon's selling them for $18, and I'm selling them for... See, I got a whole bunch of bunch of books still in the basement on my home well the thing is is if they order from you specifically it comes with an autograph right yeah so it, it's it, worth the it, two dollars is, is that an autograph book it's not no oh. i want it to be you you will you will get that autograph from me I promise you it. when we get done here i appreciate it yeah i know <laughs> i will autograph it for you yeah, yeah, I did. What's so really strange about Lynette Doherty, Doherty's daughter, happened to call me. It's amazing how people can get my phone number or know where I live, how to contact <laughs> me. Yep. She either ordered a book. Wow. I was shocked. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Jerry Doherty's daughter, but I got, last time I seen her when she was this have little wow. brat girl <laughs> where they're always torn at me and you know, the way kids act these days. Right. And, well, it's amazing. And and they they both have Tracy and Lynette. And they have Amy, one of their daughters had died because of heart condition. Uh, hmm. and, and, and and I asked her how how the Doherty's doing. They said their mom, Claudia Doherty, had passed away at lung cancer oh. and told me Jerry Doherty moved to Arizona. And she more interesting than my either. She just can't imagine how far I had came since they know me living with them when they were young. I might be interested seeing seeing Lynette Doherty, hmm. yeah, they live in uh, Delaware, oh, okay. and uh, Tracy lives in, uh, uh, live in uh, New Jersey. Okay, well, maybe they'll hear this, and they'll try to reconnect with you. They did. Oh, they did. Claudia Doherty, not Claudia, uh, Lynette Doherty did have called me. Oh, wow. And, and they just don't know how, they, they just, 
see, they they have my they they can get my phone number on online. Right. On I'm on the internet. That's how people can get a know where I live. I am my Don't friend know if that's a good Manfred. Thing. <laughs> we went when Manfred was here in town over a couple about a month and a half ago, he told me we go to Google, everybody who knows who I am. Yeah. Boy, there's nothing secret about me. It's because you're a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. You're a famous person. I know. <laughs> I'm I'm starting to realize in that now. Well, that's okay. If it's going to get the story told, that's the way to have to look at it. Right. And, and I, I just leave everything in God's hand, continue to, to do good for people. Because I got that. Always got the loving, holy heart in me, and always had. So, um, again, kind of going back, you you were quite an advocate for this museum, and it never took off because the, the building was kind of outdated and cost too much money to restore yeah, it. That was the reason. Then they, the committee to show Travis City was the site. Of course, it never got off the ground because a lot of a lot of political politics in the system right they're trying to change the system it's not easy no it's you got to do it step by step and it just takes forever for each step right and then we scale it down with a mental health educational exhibit which you're gonna it's see a here. dvd on that oh the dvd this one right here on the mental health educational exhibit when okay. me and Manfred tried to put together okay. and that didn't pan out either uh, you traveled around though doing this exhibit yeah, I right went on oh yeah i went on to each coast did oh, radio wow. talk show so i'm used to this kind of <laughs> stuff <laughs> you're good but at it now i gotta really gotta try and hopefully what your interview today is going to help build this back up i hope so to get the message out there where i like to see this whole thing go because god's not done with me yet i can see that right now um, so instead of doing a museum exhibit and a, a, the yeah, traveling scale. exhibit, yeah, you, did, you had like a memorial put in place where the administration building used to be in Coldwater, right? Oh, yeah. I had a mark. That was done uh, 1980. No. Yeah. 1981. Okay. I was involved with the International Year of Disabled Person. Wow. And I got a, a big award, got a plaque under my name That's down awesome. there and it helped to be able to set example to keep that rich history of that agency alive when it started out at the state public school 1874 and then for and and eight uh eight i think in 19 well it goes in there to start out with Public, state public school for the independent neglected children. Then it came to Michigan Children's Village. And uh, in, in 1939, that's when it came to Co-Water Stay Home and Training School. Okay. And then later in uh, early 70s, it came to the Co-Water Regional Center for the Developmental Disability. That's when, in 1981, when I got a historical marker down there. Okay. Is it still there today? As far as I know it is. I like to go down there and see how things are down there. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been down there. I don't think it'll be any problem going down there now. Most people probably don't not, know who you are. Not not around. Right. You know, it's been so long. Did you avoid going back to Coldwater because because you were scared for 
your safety? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Governor Milliken. Yeah, Governor Milliken wouldn't let me out of his sight. I want to go downtown <laughs> visit some of my friends. And, and Governor State Trooper told me, Richard, we need to have you. Governor wants you down here in the conference room. He wouldn't. I had to. Wow. Sit. I was on his right hand side. And I had a testimony from all those administrating staff. Boy, I was scared of my shoes. Uh, that's when I really had God with me that day, <laughs> really facing the reality what I'm going about to do to that system, the whole mental health system. The director of the department was there. Oh. Nick Smith, one of the couple people from the state legislature was there. And the, all the governors and his staff was there. Your story is single-handedly responsible for changing the system. Yeah, I really did good. You know, it, it was a job well done, and that's why they need me in the system to, to, to get things done, to get to know the right people. Well, you're persistent, too. Would it, like, like I said earlier, whatever you wanted to accomplish, that's what you had your mind on, and you were doing it. Oh, yeah, that. that's how I that did was it. I didn't give up hope. You know, it was discouraging time to time, but patient does pays off. You know, I just figured, uh, look at what Jesus went through when he was on her 33 and a half years. He trying to make change, train, change the whole human mankind from their sins. You know, I can't imagine placing myself in Jesus' footsteps can't imagine what that was like to appear to, you know, you know, I, I made a lot of enemies at the smarter state workers didn't like me because they were afraid of me. Hey, a supervisor didn't treat me with respect. They, wow. they, they know they can't do anything to me. Right. Because I was protected 30 years. Right. Protected under the contract was made up by, between Melikin and Dr. Ockburn, the director at that time. Okay. They took me down to personnel, and personnel just couldn't believe how they told, Dockburn told personnel, got to fill the paperwork out for this gentleman. He starts tomorrow wow. in the mailroom, and it was ordered by governor. Boy, they really jumped. <laughs> <laughs> they, oh, they didn't. It's never happened before. I didn't have to go through civil services. Everybody goes through civil services, get hired into right. the state, but this was classification was made for me. The personnel had to fill up, do all the paperwork wow. for me, and send it over to civil service. Okay. This was ordered by Governor Milliken. That's by, special. That's yeah, real special. That's what they call special worker. Okay. Yeah. Um, so during this time, you've kind of, like I said, you've gotten a lot of publicity. You're you're famous. Um, you're working with the governor of Michigan, and yeah, you I've are changing. I have a friendly relationship with Governor Blanchard. Got to know me. You've met Blanchard, four different governors. Or, yeah. Um, and home. I retired under Graham home. Okay. So during this time, you, like I've said, you've became famous, essentially. You're yeah, no, working I'm, with all these I'm, governors. I'm more famous. I'm really realized. I yeah, that. you are. Um, yeah. And you're, But that's you're, not what I'm all about. No, no, no. I, no. It I, just happened I, by circumstance. It just happened by accident. 
Right. But what I'm what I'm saying is that you you kind of got all this attention, and you've ch- you changed the mental health system. Oh, I sure and did. Your parents <laughs> kind of had like a like a thought where you should have just been in this home. You shouldn't have made any waves. You've, you should have just been kind of tucked away. What was their response that to? That's what it was. Just, oh, they were they trying they trying to stop the book from getting published. Wow. But it was too late. I already the job was already finished. You know, already getting out there when the governor when Governor Mel, uh, Engler they did a press conference. You you read that press conference from John Engler. He did a really great job. Yeah, it's amazing so, how I educate four governors. Oh, I, so did they? Did your parents kind of acknowledge the fact that you were successful? And did they? Were they ever yeah, proud of they, you? They, they they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to talk about it. They they were totally against the book. Wow. Yeah. And, so yeah. did you did you ever acquire a relationship with them? Under, I can understand their side of it because it's guilt. Right, it's guilt. Yeah, and yep. make the family, make them look bad. Right. See, they, they wasn't expecting this was ever going to happen. They just want, they get this. My dad told me when I got together with him, they said I should forget it. I'm out of there now, should put that. It's easy for him to say. <laughs> right. But it wasn't easy for me to say what I endured. He didn't have no... He didn't, he didn't live it. You had to live he, it every day. Oh, you got that right, man. Every day was a fight, was a struggle oh, it's for, like, it's for 15 like, years. It's like being in prison. You got to fend yourself. And you're a kid. You're six years old. Yeah. And you got to learn this whole new system. You got to, you're in prison, like you said. Yeah, especially being in Connie's 19. They have a stamp to beat you left from right, put you in the throw you in the brig. I was thrown in the brig many times, and not wearing. What is that? Is no, that like solitary confinement? Yeah, yeah, I was under wow. solitary confinement. No, 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 no clothes to wear. Wow, just a blanket on the hard transit floor. So, did you ever? Um, after after your book came out, and obviously your parents tried stopping it because they weren't happy about well, one about of my it. one of my brothers trying to launch the the book being stopped. Oh wow! From getting published, and uh, wrote Engler a nasty letter, and then Engler wrote back to my one of my brothers said, Engler told him, "I'm not the bad guys that they." think I was, you know, and they, they didn't know, yeah, it didn't know what, no, I was uh, just making all this up, but right. I wasn't making, they just did, I was making the family looking bad, and, right. and kind of upset, but, did, but I got over all that now behind me right. now. You're not bitter at all. No, um, and, did and you, they, I think they're starting to understand now me better as, after the book been out for a while. Okay. And and they start to see, and I had a good relationship with one of my sister in the Grand Rapids area. So the <laughs> the result of this is everything worked out fine with your family. You, yeah. you have a better relationship with them now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgave everything what they 
what they're thinking, what that's all behind. I wrote, I rise above that. You did rise above it. That's yeah. a little plug for my yeah. podcast. <laughs> well, I think the reason why I'm closer to my siblings now, because mom and dad's not around, not defending mom and dad. Right. That made a good dad. How many mom. siblings did you have? I did have, had 11, was 11 of us. Okay. Uh, did have seven brothers and three sisters, but wow. four siblings passed on. So I got four brothers and two sisters now. Okay. Wow. Came from the big family. That was part of the reason why what dad skewed, why I could never got go home because they had too many kids at home to take care of. That was was their skew, not that able to go home. Right. I don't know what the what their thinking is at that time, but but it didn't help me. Never got to go home on Christmas and holidays and weekends like everybody else got to go home. That's sad. So that, because that was the most bitter part of all is the fact that you could never go home because right. you probably felt like you weren't wanted. Because a lot of it, I just never had the love that right. What's part of it right there. And then raising other children's at home top of that. Right. And they had kid, other kids after you, after you, they had put you in the, yeah, what's in the home. Yeah, what's five, five of us? And you know, I was living in Jenison at the time. And, and Cappy was the last one. I mean, a year before her was, was, was Mitch. Pam and Terry and I and Cappy with five of us. So you had other siblings that you hadn't even met no, when you were in the born home. after I was incarcerated. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. Richard, you've lived a crazy life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm well, I'm doing good today though. You are. You've you've and gone I'm, from the trenches to being a celebrity. <laughs> now read read that letter from Engler to me. Uh, that letter, that press conference. You want, there. you want me to read it right now? Yeah. Where's yeah. it at? Is it in this right book? Un, it's right underneath. No. Right there in the first page. Yeah, read that. No, well, yeah, read that one. That's the page one. This whole thing. Yeah. Okay says, it was my pleasure to be here today to... First off, this is from uh, Governor Engler. Right. Okay. says, it is my pleasure to be here today to share with you an amazing story that has needed to be told for years. It's the story of hope, determination, and strength of the human spirit. Waiting for a Home, which is his book, is the true story of Richard Prangley, a man who was unjustly institutionalized for 15 years, yet has managed to become not only a productive citizen but also an effective advocate for the developmentally disabled. Richard has spent his life working to change the system and working for community placement. You see, doctors recommended that Richard be placed in the Coldwater State Home and Training Center at the age of six. They classified him as a high-grade imbecile and left him there for 15 years. From the age of six until he was 21, he never even had an address to call his own. He simply lived in a numbered building like Cottage 41. 15 years and nothing to call your your own. I think if it if what happened to Richard was had happened to any one of us, we'd 
we'd have left Coldwater bitter and angry, not Richard Prangley. He left determined, determined to make sure that what happened to him would not happen to anyone else ever again. Now, with the whole purpose, with the museum idea, was that you can you can create knowledge and information about the history that had happened there, better treatment for the in the twenty first century, how far we had came. Okay. Along the way, Richard has met a lot of people who have become big fans of his. Congressman Nick Smith, former Governor William Milliken, former Governor Jim Blanchard, former Director of the Department of Mental Health Pat Babcock, Jim Haveman, and myself to name a few. Over the years, Richard led the initiative for the Mental Health Museum and innovative educational efforts so people can learn from his experience. Richard's story confirms the policy of community placement is the right thing to do and the old practice of warehousing individuals and institutions can never be allowed to happen again because i went down there i had to go down there testify and boy i was scared of my shoes that's <laughs> when I, I was in god's hand that day i imagine you had to speak in, a, in front of a bunch of people yeah yeah oh it was very nice to me Give me dirty look, man. <laughs> Richard knew community placement was the right thing to do, not because a person with academic degrees told him so, but because he lived it. He experienced it, and the lessons he teaches us about compassion and understanding proves to us all that we are doing the right thing. I had the pleasure on June 20th, 1995, of declaring it Richard, Richard Prangley Day in Michigan. This was Richard's 15th anniversary of working for the state, and we celebrated the moment Richard worked for us, the state, one minute longer than he had spent in cold water. When John Snyder so skillfully chronicled Richard's story and er Erdman's publishing of Grand Rapids printed the book, they made it possible for it to be, the, be Richard, Prangley, Richard Prangley Day every day. Richard isn't the type of person who takes no for an answer. <laughs> You're not. I, that, that's how I got, how I able to work my way out of that place. Right. Uh, he has made every positive thing happen in his life through sheer will and determination. Every day he puts our work into perspective and he is what our work here is all about. Richard is quoted in the book as saying, I want to educate people. That's my goal. I want to show them that people with developmental disabilities are human beings too. They have rights too, and they have something to contribute to society. We all can learn a great deal from Richard Prangley. His wisdom reaches far beyond books and degrees. His story teaches us that, that uh, teaches all that there is no obstacle we can't overcome. No goal that is out of reach, no reason to be afraid of people who are a little different from you. As governor, I've had the honor to meet many wonderful people, but when I met Richard, I knew I would be a better person for knowing him. His unfailing love and sincerity energize, energizes you and makes you, a, makes you appreciate every moment of life. I want to thank John Snyder for telling this wonderful story and for Erdman's publishing for printing it. Most of all, I want to thank Richard for teaching us life, most, life's most important lessons. 
Now I'd like to r bring Richard to the microphone to say a few words. Yeah, and that's when I. <laughs> that's when you yeah. testified. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, that's a story I want you to help me to get out. Yeah. The story of you just read. Yeah, it really gets in there to the the whole purpose of meeting how I got been blessed by meeting four governors. How many people got can say that? Right. And I I find it truly amazing that you came from essentially nothing. I mean, you were in this situation where you would be you were institutionalized and all 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 cards that were stacked were against you. And because of your determination, will, power, you didn't give up and you just kept going no, and that going was and the going. whole idea not to give up. You didn't care you didn't care about anything. You didn't care about your money. You didn't care if you had you, you didn't care yeah, about being rich. You money just wanted, what, wasn't my answer. Your life goal was to just change the system. Right. And you accomplished that. that. And I did. Yeah. Well, it helped me in the long run. Look at who knows what's going to come out, where it's going to go from here now. Right. And now with me being the advocate for God now, but beyond the help of his son, I'm taking on the... I'm taking on a, a big challenge now. I'm dealing with all walks of life. I'm sorry. Um, my cameraman here has to take off. He has to go oh. to work. Oh. So you can just go whatever way is easier, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah. So what are you um, doing these days? You're retired. Yeah, I'm um, retired, and I'm working on a, a project for our Creator through the Holy Spirit connecting me. I'm getting ready to work on the, the Apostle Code on the Holy Spirit. Okay. Putting and getting ready to put the, the three or four page proposal together to how to bring people closer to God understand the nature of God's holiness, how the Holy Spirit moves in people's hearts. So that's what I'm getting ready to do now. I just got through finishing up the, the pamphlet. Okay. 51-page pamphlet. Wow. Goes, I'll, 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 when I see you again, when we get past it, let's get this done, and I will, will, I'll bring you in to the advocate, all the creation stuff from our creator, okay. and you know, how, why Jesus came here for the first place, to save us, deem us from our, all mankind from their sins, so, so I did, I wanted to try to keep both separate. Okay. Do one thing at a time. That's why I want to let you know there's there's more yet you haven't heard yet. Okay. This you're not. I'm not over. I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> Wait till you're here and see all the rest of the stuff I have down the basement of my home. I'll have you come in down in the basement and we'll go through all this. Okay. Um. Well. Richard, wrapping this up, um, I think it's incredible again that you've gone through, you lived, you lived this terrible incarcerated life, and then, and I rose above it. You you rose above it you, yeah. completely. You're the prime example of somebody rising above tragic situations, and uh, it's more than just tragic. It's it's horrifying the the conditions that you were you know given, 
Um, however, you're still you still have a, obviously a passion to teach people, and whether it's you know about mental health or religion, you you still have that passion. And yeah, I, that that is the biggest challenge in the getting in the ball being an advocate for our creator behind the half his son that is the biggest challenge right there <laughs> i uh everything i touch is always the challenge <laughs> but it's a miracle i got a holy spirit directed me through my back of my mind tell me what to put in mm -hmm. in the testimony letters whatnot you know it's a lot it's a lot of work and it take again I need to get a new Bible to the earth, and that's what I'm working on now. Well, let's put that out there. You're looking for somebody who can tutor you and read read the Bible to you? Yeah, yeah, and, and do Bible study. Well, every weekend I do Bible study. Last night I did Bible study on, okay. uh, on uh, the book of Revelation. Okay. So I'm working on that. I do Bible studies every weekend. I had DPTs. I listen to these Christian TV network like T TCT. Okay. And I'm just learning. I'm getting stronger more every day because uh, cause the Holy Spirit commended me more jobs to do and then I'm trying to carry that out. And right. Make, make, and it takes a lot of pain <laughs> too. And again, I need help with this stuff, not able to read the Bible. Right. See, that's my biggest drawback, not able to read or write. But I got like I say, Jesus said, if you got ears, let him hear. When you got eyes, let him see. So, you know, it's just the knowledge I got. I really thank for the gift from God. I can be able to go beyond the mental health. See, see since, uh, since January year 2010, that's when I... The legacy of mental health I have put that legacy behind me. And I right. got a, a new legacy to when I began, came up with the idea, doing the research history on Jesus' life, because I'm building a library on history, Jesus' life, the time he spent on earth, 33 right. and a half years. Upstairs in my house is going to be everything all about God's creation, about Jesus' life about how the Holy Spirit, so I'm in the middle of putting all that together. Okay. I got about our space system, about our soul. Oh, <laughs> it's it amazing, isn't it? It's ob You're it, obviously it, real excited about, about being able to teach other people this. Um, so to put it out there, if somebody in the Lansing, Michigan area wants to help Richard out and t do Bible studies with him, um, yeah, I am please, looking for a new Bible tour. Please help me with that. Please reach out. I'm trying to get Mitch Bain to help me. I get people from Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm having a hard time getting help from that church. People don't want to take. They're so busy with their busy schedule, and it's frustrating to me. I need somebody. I don't. I need somebody to replace Ellen Williams because he got incarcerated, was sent to jail for about a year and five months at Eaton County Jail, and that took a lot out of me when God gave him to me to, to help me. It wasn't from him. I wouldn't have got this big creation binder, this big five-inch thick. Took, 
two and a half years put this all the research everything i went what the really most experience i went when i went down the holy land experience and i had went in this uh jesus tomb the make believe you know the model scale model of jesus tomb and i have a prayer shawl and i was praying to God, talk to God about, and, and there was other people went by there past his tomb, and there's a guy in there talking to himself, covering his head, and then my sister was down there with me, and my okay. sister said, that's my brother is praying, talking to God, and that guy said, what's everybody would did that, and, <laughs> and, then, and then when I got done praying, talking to the God, and then I walked out there and have a, I got an Easter card that showed I walked out of the tomb, raised my hand the highest in the high heaven. Oh, I had experienced a, a wow. blessing. This went through my body from the top of my head all the way down. Oh, that's and crazy. then led me over to the tabernacle. And, uh, and that's when I had a experience. I was in the hands of God, power the power of God's hand and I was touched forever and that's when oh my whole life had changed forever and that's how I got since year 2010 that's when I began doing and I came to church the seventh day at Bennett okay go to the church or they do a lot of Bible study and they do a lot of work classes about revelation about all kinds of stuff I learned. I went to seminars and learned. Wow. I had to take classes for two and a half years, take classes wow. to learn about all the stuff I got now. Oh, I got more knowledge of my life I ever... Well, you're a student of life for sure. Um, yeah. Richard, I have to go to the bathroom really oh, bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So let's wrap this up. Uh, Richard, again, it's been a true honor to sit here and talk to you. Yeah, You've... my pleasure to, oh, got to meet you, Dave. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And... Um, I, I look forward to looking through some of this stuff and finishing your book. I haven't finished it yet, but for... Take, take your time, man. For anybody who wants to get a hold of his book, you can order on Amazon. It's called Waiting for a Home, the Richard Prangley story. Um, it's on Amazon for 20 or twenty bucks or 18 bucks, something like that. But $18 from Amazon and $20 from me. From you. And if you, they want it from you, they can get a hold of me. They oh, can get a hold yeah. of you. So let me sign that book. Um, and it's $20 and he'll sign it for you. Yeah, I don't have a pen. I don't have one either. <laughs> I have one upstairs. I'll uh, oh, okay. I can get get it after this. Oh, okay. Um, so it's been a true honor, Richard. Thank you for yeah, coming my, on the Rising Above podcast. My pleasure, Dave. All right, yeah. thank you. Yeah.